This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Bors and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and James Forsyth. So there's more news on the economy today, but once again it is bad news. Prices are continuing to rise at the fastest rate for 40 years, with food costs, particularly bread, cereal and meat, climbing. Kate, can you talk us through the latest inflation figures? Yep, so inflation on the year has gone up to 9.1% in May, up from 9% in April. Optimists will say, well, look, maybe this is good news because the rate at which inflation is increasing is slowing down quite dramatically. I suspect that this is more like the eye of the storm because we know that come the autumn when Ofgem increases the energy price cap once again, that prices are going to skyrocket. So I don't think we're anywhere near the inflation peak yet. What I find interesting, though, I mean, we've been spending a lot of time on this podcast as well, uh, pointing the finger of blame at the Bank of England for not seeing inflation come and for not doing enough to curb it, and I think that's all quite right. But today I've been more focused on government policy response because it's also in the last 24 hours that you've had the announcement that the triple lock for state pensions is is coming back next year, which means that the state pension will rise with inflation, average wage growth, or by 2.5%, whatever's higher. Um, There's really no question here a competition as to which is going to be highest. It means that pensioners are potentially looking at a 10% bump to their state pension, while workers are going to be getting pay raises that are in many cases, most cases, far below inflation. And this is, I think, an uncomfortable area for the government, especially as you have people like Dominic Robb on the broadcast round still telling people not to ask for pay increases because it is starting to feel through government policy, even if it's not the intention, like governments are going to be picking the winners and losers when it comes to inflation. And I don't see how that ends well. James, how do today's figures affect the government's spending plans? There's also uh, news about pensions being set to rise. So I I think Kate actually identified one of the worrying things for the government is, first of all, you'd expect inflation to go higher still when the energy price cap rises in October. And also, Kate will correct me when I go wrong on this, but I think manufacturing inputs inflation in this metric was at the highest level it's been since, since these records started being collected. Kate's nodding. Uh, And that suggests to me that, you know, logically inflation is going to be higher still. I think that you also obviously have to see this in the context of the strike this week and this whole debate about a wage price spiral. Now, look, let's be honest, the reason the triple lock is increasing by so much is because pensioners vote and they are an incredibly powerful political lobby. But I would say two things which I think think we can miss. One is, it is easier for working people to adjust to inflation by taking on more work than it is for pensioners. And the second point is, raising pensions is not inflationary in the same way as raising, raising wages. Because pensioners aren't producing goods that people are then going to buy, or services that people are then going to buy, and having to pay for the increased cost of, of, of wages. So I think mean, there's this kind of a, a subtle distinction that is, that is worth noting there. I think the big question is, is what happens on all these pay settlements? You know, obviously the RMT on strike at the moment, then you've got the NEU, the National Education Union, saying that you know, they want an inflation or above inflation pay increase and suggesting that they are prepared to ultimately strike if they don't get that. What does the government do on this? I also think that lots of private sector companies are 
watching the government's lead on this to see what what kind of pay settlement seems fair. I think there's also an interesting question. I think there's something that is increasingly being talked about in the private sector of companies offering kind of one-off cost of living payments to people to help them through. So try and avoid baking in higher wages by a 10, 11% pay rise in line with inflation, but offering some immediate help to help their workers through this, partly because you know the workers might not be able to get through it without it, and also because in this tight labour market, without that kind of assistance, you may well lose staff. James, I, th- I think you make a good point about the state pension. Um, I, I think that the issue with the triple lock it isn't that you, you don't want to protect pensioners' income at all. Of course, you know, you have to do something. But there's been a lot of talk in government over the past few years about what areas they can meaningfully scale back and particularly to tackle intergenerational unfairness issues. And I think this would have been the perfect opportunity to break with the triple lock and say, well, look, we can't go to 10%, but maybe we can go to 4 or 5%, something actually more in line with the average wage rise. And I think that's going to be the sticking point because to your point about these pay settlements and how much they cost, I mean, if the government does decide to compromise or concede on some of these higher wages for public sector worker, we're talking about billions and billions of pounds that they have to find. Returning to the triple lock is going to cost tens of billions of pounds. The money does exist. It's there, but you only can really access it without causing more tax hikes and the rest of it by making some more difficult decisions in government. And as we've, again, spoken about many times on this podcast, it's something the prime minister is loath to do. So I don't know to what extent they really can compromise without doing something deeply fiscally irresponsible. And and James, in other news, at Prime Minister's Questions today, Boris Johnson went up against Keir Starmer and the issue of the day was strikes. How much trouble is Labour in on this issue? So yesterday was politically the easiest day of this summer of strikes that, that there, there is going to be for the government. You know, people on the railways are paid relatively well. And, you know, the first day of disruption is when people are always most prepared to say to the government, tough it out. And particularly, I think, given how many people who use commuter rail can flip back to working from home with relative ease. I think the difficulty for the government comes if these strikes continue, if there is no settlement, and people will then flip to, what are you going to do about it? And I think one of the problems for this government is that this government is developing a bit of a reputation for talking a good game and then not delivering on it. So both the 2019 Tory manifesto and the 2019 Queen's speech promised that there would be minimum level of service obligations. So, you know, you couldn't have a strike like yesterday where the network is essentially almost brought to a, to a total standstill. But they haven't actually legislated for that yet. And that is the problem. Then there's this whole question of using agency workers. Again, these agency workers aren't trained to work on the railways. So, you know, you can bring in agency workers, but that's not going to solve your fundamental problem because, you know, they won't be able to do the things that you need people working on the railways to be able to do. And so they, they won't be able to break the strike. I think if you look at the examples of when governments have successfully faced down industrial action, it is normally when they have got the preparation right beforehand. You know, Margaret Thatcher famously stockpiled coal before the miners' strike to ensure that, that she could get through that. And I think that the question for the government is, is, has it done the necessary preparatory work for these strikes? Kate, do you think there's a chance the government starts to look just powerless when it comes to what they can actually do in the face of strikes? Because right now it feels as though the pressure is on Labour 
this idea that they don't have a unified position. But if we start to get to a point where the government is talking a good game when it comes to, you know, minimum staff numbers and so forth, but nothing actually changes, maybe in a few months' time things can be looked on less kindly. Yeah, I think so. I think the government's actually right to to hold the line for now because I, I think with you know people who would be taking these forms of transport to get to work, you know, they're experiencing inflation like the RMT union workers. So I think eventually you start to have less and less sympathy for people going through the exact same thing that you're going through, and you know you're just trying to get to work and you're being impeded from doing that. But I think you make a good point, Katie, because in some ways the rail strikes are easier for the government to handle. To James's point, people can just work work from home now if they need to, where, well, not everybody can, that's a very important point, but many people are now set up to be able to do that. Whereas if you do start getting teachers going on strike in the autumn, if you get NHS workers going on strike with the huge COVID backlogs we have now, I think people are going to start to feel helpless and angry, and that's only going to be reflected in how helpless this government is at the moment uh, when it comes to big decision making because the prime minister has been so badly dented politically. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. The Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year Awards, sponsored by Investec, are open for entries. If you are an entrepreneur-led business bringing radical change to its sector, please apply at www.spectator/innovator. We are looking for entries all across the UK, and our closing date is the 4th of July.